What an amazing uh, week and uh, launch to our year, uh, Love Local was. I'm thankful for all of you who took part in it. Um, I read a, um, a blog post um, earlier this week where the topic of the blog post was topophilia. Love Local. I love it. About 11 months ago, we were in a series where we were seeking to find some way to tell the whole arc of the Bible in just 11 sermons. Somewhere in there, I made a promise that within the next 12 months, before 2020, I would lead us through uh, a series on the Holy Spirit. And I have been, honestly, dreading it ever since. And I've been dreading it in part because the varieties of our understanding and expectation of, of what we should say or what should happen coming out of a, whole, of a Holy Spirit sermon series has frankly freaked me out. There are people in this room who, in their worship and in their relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, speak tongues. There are people who are in this room who've, who've been in the room when the healings have happened as a gift from the Holy Spirit. There are people in this room who've had extraordinary things happen right across them, happen to them or through them be, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. I have not. I have not. I have a really expansive theology of the Holy Spirit, but a pretty quiet personal experience of the Holy Spirit. And I'm guessing for most of you that's also the case, that maybe the Holy Spirit is such a shy member of the Trinity, you've, you don't even really know what the Holy Spirit is. For most of us in this room, if you are sort of a, I'm guessing most of you are kind of like me, because if, if you were more Pentecostal or charismatic, you probably would have found another church that's more Pentecostal or charismatic. So I've been nervous about this. I'm really wanting to make sure that I get it right, that what I say and speak is, is true and beautiful. So uh, as a way to start today... Um, we're going to take this practice, this kind of this ancient practice. We're going to do it every time we're together throughout this series. I'm just going to light this simple candle as a way to sort of pray. F- I guess I'm a, we're going to pray for the Spirit's illumination. Literally, I practiced five times. I've done this twice already. That's the first time that's happened. Don't use the letter P right in front of a match. Pray for the Spirit's work in us and illumination today. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you in the name of your Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illumine and light up our time. Lord, there are darknesses in every human heart, hidden corners in every soul. 
today, Lord, we want to um, set the light free to have its way in us and through us. Would you light up our insight and wisdom and imagination Lord, it's uh, been shown that the human eye can discern a single candle in darkness over four miles away. So, Lord, even those who feel that distant today from you, would they receive the glimmer of the hope of your word? Lord, prepare us flood our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts, as it says in Ephesians. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, as we, um, as we, as we start this series, we're going to start in a way that, that might feel in some ways, um, well, kind of Presbyterian. We're going to start with what some people call a doctrinal sermon. We're going to seek to do what we can as we get started to be really clear as helpful as we can, about our doctrine. I'm going to do my best in just the next uh, couple of dozen minutes here to treat you like a lollipop. Big circle, little body. Okay? What I hope to do is to start finding the right way for us to, to talk about the Holy Spirit as we seek to know the Holy Spirit. And I guess that's really actually the first place where I, I want to start. I, I do want to start by saying that there is a difference between knowing about God and being in relationship with God. There is a difference. It is possible for us to, to have all the right ideas, as Dave was saying, to have all the right notions, all sort of check the boxes on our orthodoxy and not actually personally know God. And yet I also want to say it's really important for us to make sure that we know the right things about God. That is an okay place for us to begin and to start an eight-week series on the Holy Spirit. Some of you uh, know my, um, my wife, Amy. Some of you do not. But if you're going to get to know her, to be in relationship with her, there are some things that you might want to know about her. It'd be a good way to get started in sort of having a relationship with Amy is to just know a couple things about her. I'm going to just give you a couple. Amy was born in a small college town to two parents um, who were employed by the university in Pullman, surrounded by wheat fields. She has two brothers. She was raised in a Christian home. She's an athlete. She was uh, competitive uh, as a gymnast and as a sprinter. She was a cheerleader at Washington State University until she was um, dropped from on high. So she's an athlete, but something I want you to know about her, not so much if it involves a ball. Wouldn't say that's her athletic strength. Amy is fearless in front of people. In most ways, I think she should have been the preacher. She is nourished and requires fun. If we go a couple days without some sort of fun, 
uh, it's, it's grumpy town at our house, which is hard because I actually, I don't need that much fun to just sort of like do my thing. I'm, I'm ready, but she needs, she needs fun. She's a genius, genius when it comes to early childhood development and how to help to grow um, young children. She's amazing. She has four children, Hope, Malia, Reese, and Johanna. We've been married for 23 years. In those 23 years, we have had 12 addresses in three different states. I could just, I could keep on doing this for, for page after page after page as you, as you would get to know more and more about her. But you know what? You, you still wouldn't actually necessarily know her. And even after 23 years, I keep finding out new things I just didn't know. I didn't, I, just layers, onions, layers and layers upon layers of things I'm, I'm still discovering that I just didn't know about my bride. They keep sort of showing up. And if you're going to get to know Amy, you're going to need to invest some time. You can't just work the list. And what is true of Amy is infinitely more true of the Holy Spirit. It will be good for us to know some things about the Holy Spirit. But if you really want to know the Holy Spirit, it's going to require some time. It's going to require you acting on some of the things you know about God. It's going to require you taking this list and discovering what's actually true and how it actually should then inform your life and your relationship with God. So we're going to start with some about kind of knowledge today. All with the intention that over the next eight weeks, we'll, we'll seek to turn that about kind of knowledge into deeper trust, into a more beautiful relationship, into some risky faith as you discover more and more about the person and character of the Holy Spirit. So, three things I want you to know about the Holy Spirit as we start this series. This first one, it's maybe going to seem obvious to you. The Holy Spirit is God. God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I want to say that to you from the very beginning because actually I have to say, we don't often actually remember that the Holy Spirit is a person of God. Instead, more than often, more often than not, I sort of think about the Holy Spirit as something I'm supposed to get. The Holy Spirit is a commodity I'm supposed to acquire. I'm supposed to sort of plug into God, and God's going to sort of have this Holy Spirit sort of then like electrify me. Well, the Holy Spirit is not an outlet, and you are not a vacuum. But more often than not, I think we, I tend to, I think we tend to think of the Holy Spirit just as this thing we're supposed to sort of get and acquire and clamor after. But the Holy Spirit is, is one of the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting, actually, is the Bible never uses the word Trinity or triune. In fact, we didn't start using that word as Christian brothers and sisters until somewhere around the year 200, as we kept on seeking to dig deeper and deeper into understanding the person and character of God. It was was a way that we realized we could try to summarize what Scripture was revealing to us about God, that God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. And actually, there are times when we see all three show up at the same time. The very first one is the first three verses of the Bible, and maybe you've always missed it. We read Genesis for other stuff. We don't necessarily read it for doctrine of Trinity, but it's there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Ever since we've read that passage, in light of God the Son coming in the flesh, what we see is Father, the Spirit hovering over and the Word of God speaking it all into existence. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God working in unity. We see it in this really interesting way, just a couple of verses later here. This is Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 27. This other really important moment when humans are made. And this is what the Bible has to say about humanity. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. As we'll talk about in a little while, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sort of in this great circle of creative love saying, hey, I have an idea. Let's make humans. Let us make humans. But then in this weird way, just a couple verses later, Scripture goes from plural to singular. So, so God created mankind in His own image, singular. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one plus one plus one equals one. We see them all showing up uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, too. This, there's versions of this in Mark and in Luke and in uh, Matthew. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. All persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all present, all at the same time, three in one. We've, we've found, we've, 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 we found and I think continue to try to find helpful ways to talk about this that don't slide us into some kind of a heresy or another. How do we talk about this? And around the 11th century, we, um, we developed this thing 
um, called the shield of the Trinity, and it looks like this. What it's trying to do is to make sure that we keep distinct three persons and one Godhead. So if we just work around the outside, what we see is the Father is not the Son. The Son is, is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. You go around the other way. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. They are separate and one because the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Three and one. It's important for you to know that the Holy Spirit is God, not just a power to tap into. So let's work hard on that. As we try to find these kinds of metaphors, maybe uh, you know that St. Patrick um, talked about um, the, you know, the three-leaf clover. Apparently there are a lot of them in Ireland, and he said, here's a way you can try to begin understanding the Trinity. Maybe another one you've heard, I've heard many, many, many times early on in my faith, was that God is um, sort of a way you can understand how the Trinity works. It's like water, right? Water can be um, liquid, it can be um, solid, and it can be vapor. Have you heard that before, some version of that? Now, what's interesting about that is, is one of the dangers is we can find ourselves in this place where we say, well, first God was Father, then God was Son, now God is Holy Spirit. That's a heresy called modalism. That God's only ever in one mode at a time. But the great thing about that metaphor, are there any, are there any just full-on chemistry geeks in the room? Raise your hand if you're a chemistry geek. Yeah, come on, a couple of you. I love it. Thanks for claiming it. There's this thing in chemistry called the triple point, and, and every element has a triple point. The triple point is sort of the conditions in pressure and in temperature where all three can exist at the same time without, um, without changing into the other. And if you say that water is in the triple point where water is simultaneously already liquid and will stay liquid, and it, water is ice and will stay solid, and is vapor and will stay vapor. Now that preaches. All three together at the same time, all the time. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, coexistent with one another as one God. That's what we celebrate when we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God of the universe is in triple point all the time. So the first thing I want you to know is that um, God, is, God is triune. God is trinity. But what that means, there's three in one. There's this other thing we also need to know about this, and that the, the trinity or God is love. God is love. There are many faiths out there that proclaim some, for, some sort of a single God. And what every single one of them wants to affirm, including Christianity, is that God has no need outside of God's self. 
God has no need outside of God's self. There's, there's no um, sort of outward need. There's no outward expression. There's no created thing that God needs to, to make God's self whole and complete. Well, then why is there love? And why do we say that God is love? It has to do with what we peer into the Scriptures and see there in the Bible. And what we see, actually, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sort of in this beautiful dance, always trying to get out of the way of the other two so that the other two might gain glory. Over and over and over again, what we see is they're, they're working together for God's sole, single purpose. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in love. They're, they're, they are a sort of a love, sort of never-ending dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as one God. We see it lots of places. Here's one where it just says God is love. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. Notice how all the persons of the Trinity are here. He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Somehow the Spirit is involved in us knowing what the Father has done through the Son. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And we know, and so we know, and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. What we see, friends, throughout Scripture, in many places in the New Testament, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in this way. The Father sort of trying to get out of the way so the Son can be glorified. The Son trying to get out of the way so that the Father can be known and the Spirit can descend. The Spirit getting out of the way, simply pointing to what's glorious and beautiful about the Father and the Son. The Trinity is love. Selfless love a love for the sake of others. So the fact that, that God is already like that internally means that God gets to also and is like that with us. We see it again here in this, uh, in this Gospel of John. So when the Advocate comes, when the Spirit comes, whom I will send, this is Jesus speaking, to you from the Father, there it is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all together, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me. Do you hear how they're sort of working together for the sake of the other? The really nerdy theological term for this is perichoresis. Perichoresis. Peri uh, in the Greek sort of means around, and choresis means to sort of advance or to make room for. And what we see as we peer into the Scriptures and seek to know what we need to know about Father, Son, and especially the Holy Spirit is that all three seem to be sort of dancing around with one another, seeking to make room for one another in the Godhead. And in older churches, where there's stained glass still, especially stained glass from a certain era, you'll see images like this, seeking to find some way to visually represent the three in one in perichoresis. 
seeking to find some way to both be in movement, getting out of the way constantly in this dance so the others can be known and glorified as the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, God is triune, so that means the Holy Spirit is God. The Trinity, God is love, which finally means this. The Trinity for us means transformation. The Holy Spirit for us is transformation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always working together. But most of us, myself included, we often just remember more of like a biune God than a triune God. God the Father, God the Son. We kind of get our minds wrapped around the imagery in some way. We understand that, um, that as Father, God um, knows that there is need for redemption and knows that um, our lack of holiness needs to be dealt with. And we know in that story that the Son comes in the flesh so that the only one who can achieve redemption, which is God, can be combined with the only person who should seek to receive that or accomplish that redemption, which is humanity. So we, we got Father and Son kind of figured out. What's the role of the Holy Spirit? If Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always together, what's the Holy Spirit about? We've Father and Son have together accomplished uh, in a way that we sort of understand this, this particular achievement. And we'll talk about it here through Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. But when the said time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Father and Son working to transform our position before Him. From sinner to son. And oftentimes we leave it there. But the Bible doesn't. Galatians continues... Because you are his sons and your position has been transformed, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his, God, since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The Holy Spirit is the indwelling gift. That's why we've called this series In. The Holy Spirit is the indwelling gift. It's where we receive the mind of Christ, the way of Christ the power of Christ, the obedience and sacrifice of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that takes the reality of our salvation and turns it into an actual life and lifestyle. 
It is the Holy Spirit who, who changes, who takes our changed position before God and, and teaches us how to live that changed position in the world. The Holy Spirit is part of our transformation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. We might seek to live out our salvation. That's the goal. Uh, Andrew Murray is this uh, pastor from the 1800s in South Africa. And I've kind of been digging on uh, Andrew Murray for the better part of the summer. And he writes in this little devotional called The Believer's New Life. The great gift of the Father is the Son, through whom He obtained salvation and brought it near to us. On the other hand, the great gift of the Son whom he sent to us from the Father to apply to us an inner and an inner and intel, I'm sorry, and effectual salvation is the Holy Spirit. Let me say that a different way, that second sentence. On the other hand, the great gift of the Son is the Holy Spirit, whom he sent to us from the Father to apply to us an inner and effectual salvation. He goes on. Holy Spirit is in us to transfer to us the life and salvation that are prepared in Jesus. And the Spirit makes them wholly ours. Praise the Lord. The Son transforms us from outcasts to sons. The Spirit transforms us into the image of what we already are. And I suspect that a lot of us don't know that. I'm often forgetful of it. We are called to live in the Spirit and it's often set aside. Can I just ask you, do you know how to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you know how to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are you living with a two-thirds God and a two-thirds salvation? Is it possible that you are sitting in this pew, you've said yes to Jesus, and you seek to worship Him, but you know nothing of the joy of Christian living? That it feels like drudgery. Is it possible that you have not taken on the life of the Spirit that is accessible to you? So it all just feels like work. But, friends, when we fall from knowledge, when we go from knowledge about to knowledge of, we realize that the Holy Spirit is God, and God is love, and God brings transformation in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the doctrine. That's what you are invited to live. 
And over the next uh, seven weeks now, we're going to seek what it means to seek and really chase after and pursue what it means for us to live the full transformation of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. One more thing you might hear me say multiple times. Oftentimes, we treat like God like a thing we're supposed to acquire. I've said that already. I'm particularly sensitive to that. That we want more Holy Spirit. But I want to be clear. The Holy Spirit wants more of you. He wants you. To give you life. To set aside your way of the flesh. And in the middle of that great circle of love is something like this. Just a simple table. It's not complicated. This is the start on the way. At the, the, same, um, the same meal where we sort of celebrate this, you know what else Jesus did? Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. In fact, I said, I can't, I can't send the Holy Spirit until I leave. The Holy Spirit's coming. I want you to know that. You know what else he did? He washed feet. He said, this is the way of the Spirit. To be in the family. To serve one another. To not think of yourself more highly than you ought. As it says in Philippians. So we promised the Spirit. He washed his disciples' feet. And he had this simple meal to say that my promises will travel with you. They're meant to nourish you and strengthen you and seal you with my promises. And they'll be just enough. They'll be your daily bread. They'll be your reminder of my grace until we get to gather again. I've been saying to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are never really apart from one another. what the glory and the sacrifice and the power are here at this table. Listen as we say these words of institution together, or as you listen to me say them. On the night which he was betrayed, after he promised the Holy Spirit and washed his disciples' feet, he took bread during that meal, and he gave thanks for it, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat it and remember me. And then after the supper, he took the cup and he poured it out and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink it and remember me. And the Holy Spirit is here. The apostle says, listen for it, whenever it is we eat from this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim his saving death until he comes again to put it all to rights. Lord, may these simple elements be true promise and seal and symbol of your goodness to us. 
And may they nourish us in such a way that we are filled with your Spirit, unafraid of obedience, eager for your way in our lives. Lord, bond us together in unity. Help us to love one another at this feast. And all God's people said, Amen. Friends, we take this meal um, by intinction at this service, or dipping. It's like, intinction is like perichoresis for communion, right? You'll be dismissed row by row. You'll be invited to uh, come forward to take a piece of bread and to then uh, dip it into the cup. Um, they are allergen-free. So we can all come here together in absolute joy and freedom together. Let me invite the servers and the band forward before the rest of us come.